0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Authors Access, where authors get published and published authors get successful. I'm Victor Volkman with Loving Healing Press in Ann Arbor, Michigan.
1: And I'm Donna Winters from Big Water Publishing.
0: Donna is our special guest co host this evening. Donna Winters and her husband are the owners of Big Water Publishing. Since 1989, they have released 15 of Donna's historical romances for ages 12 and up under the Great Lakes Romances imprint. Now, episode number 143 tonight will be Research and Writing Through Oral History with special guest Susan Violante. You can learn more about our guest on the Authors Access website, which is authorsaccess.com. We'd love to hear from you about tonight's show, Please send us your questions and comments to info at authorsaccess.com. Now, this evening we have Susan Violante, who was born and raised in Venezuela from Italian immigrants. She has completed a bachelor's degree in political and administrative science and worked as founding general director of an environmental foundation before moving to the U.S., Although she built a career as a business analyst and accountant since 1987, she also kept active as a freelance writer. In 2010, Violante finally retired from accounting and leapt into the publishing industry after publishing her young adult novel, Innocent War, Behind an Immigrant's Past, Book One. She currently works as editorial assistant for Reader Views and First Chapter Plus Plus. And she is finishing her first picture book, entitled Tuma, the Little Indian Princess, while working on book two of her first series. Susan is also the host of I Have Something to Say Live and soon to be managing editor of her newest project, I Have Something to Say Press. Her new radio show, Italian Austinite, will go on the air through Blog Talk Radio in just a few days. Well, good evening, Susan.
2: Hello. How are you, Victor? Great. How are you, Donna?
1: I'm just fine. It's uh, wonderful to join this conversation with you. And if I may, I'd like to start with, how do we get started using oral history for a writing project?
2: That's a very good question, because it it never occurred to me until I received tapes from my father that I could actually get oral um, histories and, and create stories out of them. Um, there's so many websites now that have uh, digital recording for free. And um, there's um, the StoryCorps on the Internet that you can listen actual stories from other people and um, even record your own if you like. And so um, I just found it um, more entertaining to go into a library and research documents to listen to the stories because that's what I used to do while I was growing up. And so that's how um, I basically started listening to my elder stories and and imagining the time of the era and everything else. And then once I started um, working on the book is when I really thought about it. and I said, hey, wait a minute, um, this is a perfect research, not just my father's tapes, but listening to other people's um, experiences and and their point of view of the era and and the geographic aspects of them, and the smells, and what they felt, and and so I started talking to more people of my family, and that led to other things and other people, and I started recording them.
1: I think what I'm hearing, I I'm hearing you say, is that if we don't have a relative or a friend who has an interesting oral history story to tell us, that we can actually f- go to the library or go online and. Fine. Yes, there's Something.
2: Yes, actually they're creating uh, storycorps.org um, is s t o r y mm. c o r p is in papa s.org. It's a website. I'm not sure how long they've been there, but they provide a service where people can go and just uh, record their story. You'll find all kinds of stuff in there and more and more people are recording their stories. And there's actually a link there where you can go and listen to stories. It makes it more interesting. I I just love listening to other people's stories orally because you get, uh, especially the person who recorded it or the person that you're interviewing is the protagonist of that story in real life because you get their feelings. And I noticed, for example, with with my father's recording, uh, because he was talking to himself, you, you could see, hear the the voice break into certain points, and and then all of a sudden he would pause, and all that stuff was excellent for my writing because um, when I came to develop the character, I basically used all the feelings that he recorded, not knowing that he did.
1: Ah, do you have some specific pointers for guiding a writer to? take down this oral history for an interview, or if they are doing an interview of a person, how to guide that that process? Do you have anything sure, that sure. you can tell us about that?
2: Sure. Well, it's not very different than for journalists. They, they study this in school. So it's basically like a journalist guide, and you can Google interviewing tips for journalists and kind of see a little bit further of what I'm going to talk about now. But the first thing is you have to know your goals. Uh, what are your goals when you're starting to listen um, to this recording or when you're interviewing somebody? What are your goals with this interview? And so w- once you prepare your goals, you always want to write down sample questions that will lead you to this um, goals. So for example, my goal was to get to know my father. And even though I got the recordings and my, my first goal was covered, I, I Originated different little goals with each interview I had with him. One was, for example, more description of the um, surroundings of Tripoli or, um, you know, what were the customs that, what, that the Italian women observed living in Tripoli during that time and little things. So I, I broke it down on interviews and I made my questions accordingly so that I could make sure that I got the information. But then um, you have to listen with an open mind and very alert because you want this interview to become um, very colloquial and personal, so the person that's giving you the interview is um, giving it naturally, and so you can feel what they feel what, when they're talking, and they don't, they don't become too narrative or, you, you know, because if not, then all that effect of when you're talking by yourself will be lost. So you kind of have to listen uh, alertly and guide that conversation, in the sense that if, if there's a question that pops up in your mind, go ahead and ask it. Don't don't be rigid in your script. Um, also, you need to be sincere so that the person feels um, comfortable enough. Because most people that are writing a story from somebody else and they're doing it through interviews or recording, you're um, most likely to be much younger than that person. So you want to make sure that you feel sincere in your curiosity and genuine so that a person feels relaxed and comfortable enough to open up their lives to you. Um, There's just most most of it is your attitude. You cannot be somebody that will judge the person you're interviewing, which is very, very possible if you're interviewing a relative. So if you're interviewing your parents, for example, because they have an interesting story, they are going to feel judged unless you make it um, your point not to anything that might sound judgmental or it's kind of a psychological game in, in some respect when it's live interview. Right. Knowledge about the topic, make sure that you know about the topic so that you can make the questions that you need to make and make it interactive.
1: Wonderful, those are great
0: pointers. Thank you Donna. Susan, let's talk about the nuts and bolts of transcription. I've done a little transcription myself and Frankly, I'm not good at it, and I've also hired it out. Just tell us about your experiences with that.
2: Well, this is um, my transcription was impossible to do. It was horrible because my my father taped his recordings in three languages, and he mixes them all up. Uh, he used English, Spanish, and Italian. And wow. <laughs> I, it, it, it happens when you learn your three languages. Once you become older, you start mixing them. It's happening to me now in my 40s, so I can imagine him in his almost 80s. So it was very difficult for me to hire out, so I had to type him. And um, I did a, a bunch of the typings. And maybe for the first two or three tapes, and then I decided to not transcribe anymore. I'd rather listen to it and work from there directly. Um, thank, for, uh, the, the thank you to the ter- technology. Now, a lot of the recording systems that you can find online, many of which are free or have free tryouts, um, do offer transcription. So that would be another um, option that I would give to somebody that's looking into transcribe. There's also sh- um, websites like talk show, uh, TalkShoe.com, that is like a conference call type of um, place where they also offer transcriptions. And um, it's just getting easier. Um, In my case, I couldn't hire anybody. Nobody can help me. Now I just listen to it. um, I got so used to it that um, I just write as I'm listening to the tape.
0: Yeah, I imagine there's there's certain scenarios where paraphrasing is really what you want to achieve anyway. Is that right?
2: Yes, yes. And um, uh, what's happening in my case is I already have the story developed. I have an outline of 100 pages, which is uh, three books. So when I listen to the the recordings that I have or when I interview my parents, because I still interview them and I do it over the phone now and I do record them, I am looking for details because the story is already down. So if you're going to start developing the story, you might as well then um, transcribe a little bit uh, that is enough for you to have at least your outline because it gets a little bit um, uh, crazy if you don't have at least the outline down trying to create your story out of oral recordings.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I went into this interview thinking of some of the classical projects. Like, uh, I know in the 1930s, they sent people with tape recorders out into the hills of Appalachia recording people with interesting dialects and songs and stories that were, were quickly fading. But I guess there's, you know, as much use for fiction as for nonfiction, right?
2: Yes, and um, my first... Um thought was to create a nonfiction narrative, and, um, and I would have been very uh, good with it, because that's mostly what I've done all my life, is just na- narrative or professional writing. Um, but um, I wanted my nieces and nephews to be interested in the story, and even though he has an amazing story, when you're talking to kids, you know, 12 years old and stuff, um, they're not going to be interested in a narrative, and that is why I fictionalized it, and I made it into an action. Um, novel type of thing, and it worked out great because it, it they they all have read it, they all love it, and they all it opened channels of communications with my my father and his grandkids. And uh, if I would have done a narrative, um, it would have not happened. So, uh, and I found out though that it's even more marketable as, as I look into all the history websites, and there are comments sometimes in Yahoo groups about history and. A lot of writers found the same thing, that people like the fictionalized historical versions more than narratives when it comes to memoirs and that type of writing.
0: That's true. It brings an accessibility that you can never get by just reciting facts. So let me just make sure I understood your earlier answer. So knowing when you have enough material, so you start with an outline, and like a scaffold, and then you kind of fill it up with different pieces from interviews, is that correct?
2: Yes, I, I mean you still have to do some research on books and on um, online and libraries and newspapers um, I was very lucky because I have a lot of heirlooms that, uh, I even have a newspaper of my father's military time uh, in Italy uh, that I can use but um, I still had to do research uh, about weapons for example because there's a portion in my book where he describes all the weapons that he disassembled uh, when he was a teenager, but um, I I didn't know what he was talking about, and then you mix that in three languages. <laughs> you know, It was impossible for me to know what he was talking about, so I did have to go to the library. I even purchased a, a book about weapons of World War II, and um, you just have to do the research still. It just makes it more vivid and more easy for you to imagine as a picture, as a movie in your head when you listen
0: to it. I know what you're you're coming from I did a couple of books on the Vietnam era and if you don't know an M14 from an M16 just you're hopeless. <laughs> <laughs>
2: but um, so, it, it is hard because you know what what is the difference? I have no clue and then when you look in, in the books that's when you you finally can picture it because you see a picture of them but if you're just listening to it You know, he was talking about disassembling projectiles from mortars that uh, he found a warehouse full of them and he started playing with them and he took a little gel out of there and he tried to make one of the projectiles fly and explode and it wouldn't do it and then all of a sudden there's smoke. And he's talking about twisting it open and doing this and doing that. I had no clue what he was talking about. So I had to see a picture. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, of course, he won't remember. Maybe he didn't even know what type of, you know, a missile that is, you know, or whatever. So it, it, it was interesting. But because he made it so um, interesting to listen to all the things that he did, once I went into the research on the Internet and I saw pictures of li- different projectiles and everything, and I could picture everything in my mind, it made it so much easier for me to write about it, you know. It's just, sure. It's just different.
0: Now, does the plot, develop organically from all the bits and pieces, or did you really have the plot outline fixed in advance, or do you allow it to branch off? How does that go?
2: I was allowed to branch off because uh, what I did first, um, I, I'm going to go step by step. First, I, after I listened to the tapes, I decided to learn about the Italian chronologically um, side of war. And so um, I went into the internet and I did like a little chrono- chronological um, table. And then I put the facts with my father when the war started and how old he was and everything because he was getting confused with dates. So once I had that down, I took the pointers of the whole story that he said on tape one and I decided, well, he was this age, so this happened here. What was going on historically during that time? Were the allies there? Were they not? and so on. And, and once I had that down, I took the transcriptions, I read that, and then I just started writing from there. So you do need to know um, the topic. You cannot just, you know, and I'm a history freak because I've been listening to um, especially World War II stories from the German side and the Italian side because I went also to a German school in Venezuela. So I, I had a lot of contact with this topic, and it wasn't that difficult for me. If I had to do it in a different era, for example, if I'm going to talk about, um, I don't know, Vietnam War, I have to make sure before I even start listening to the tapes that I know the basics of that era. You know, what years, how did the uh, problem start, you know, who was where, North Korea, uh, that, I'm sorry, North Vietnam, uh, South Vietnam. Or You have to know all the time what you're talking about or else you won't be able to come up with the story just by listening to the tapes.
1: Great. Donna? What was the hardest part about creating your story from your father's oral history?
2: The hardest part was forgetting that he was my father. Um, there was a lot of emotion attachment to it. And so when I would listen to his voice um, tremble because he's talking about something that was very difficult for him to remember, um, that was very difficult for me to listen, because um, especially when you're used to, uh, you know, your father being very strong and an Italian, Sicilian guy, you know. Um, so that was the most difficult portion of me. Other than that, because at the same time, though, because he was my father, I was able to picture him. You know, I had pictures of him when he was uh, little, so that made, that made it so personal. I really wanted to uh, dream. It was like daydreaming of his story, Another thing that was very difficult was um, to put the timetables down into the story, and um, that's crucial, so that's why I'm advising it to do it before you start. If you don't have that timetable of facts, of historical facts, in front of you when you're uh, beginning to listen to the story, um, you cannot, it won't be credible if you make big mistakes on the history, let me put it that way. So that's Mm -hmm. very difficult to keep straight.
1: So... Really research, as you had said earlier. Research it before going into it. Yes, you research uh, and, and,
2: before you going into it, and then the, for the generalities, then you listen to the stories, and then you take note of, um, you know, details like uh, sensory mm-hmm. information. Right. You can even take um, a lot of details about the experiences during the time because they will remember details that are not in books. So that's mm-hmm. excellent. For example, there's a scene in my book where I have my grandmother put um, um, a veil on top of her, like a scarf on top of her head, as she approximated uh, somebody who had a, a wagon, and then she realized he was Italian, so she took that scarf off of her head. And my my father remembers stuff like that. But you won't see how women, in, Italian women behave in Libyan during that time. You won't find that in every in any book. So all those little details helped me come up with my own details and you know, when it came to fictionalize the story and create that um, credibility environment.
1: So now you've got me curious. What exactly is that custom among the Italian women with a scarf? They normally cover their hair, but then...
2: They normally didn't cover their hair, but she would carry it with her because if she was going to... If that... If you look at a lot of Sicilian people, they're very, sometimes very tan, and they, they could even uh, look like somebody from Libya. And so mm-hmm. um, this is my own um, uh, supposition of why she did this. So she would carry it uh, just to avoid confrontation in between customs, because if this is somebody that was very Muslim and was offended by the woman not ha- covering her hair, yeah. they, they would not yeah. wear those whole suits. You know, um, all yeah, cover. Okay. They did cover their hair. So.
1: She was in Libya at the time where she was doing this.
2: Yes, yes, she was I in I see. Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Okay, and we're all aware at this point of the, the some of the very touchy situations between the Arabs and those who are not, and so we need even at that yeah, point. Yeah, and
2: and and that was very touchy even in that time during World War mm-hmm. II because uh, we right. have to remember that Italians were. The invaders in Libya, basically, they were they colonized um, Italy. They, they were the, an empire trying to grow their territory, and they went there. And many atrocities were done by the Italians as well during the 30s and even before. You, you were used to trying to not to have this. Um, as a woman, they would try to avoid conflict. Now, as a woman living through war, I can imagine. You know.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I was just going to share my my experience with the the biggest memoir project I did, which is a, a soldier's story, and and we discovered that really nothing much interesting had happened to him in, until age twenty six. So, I guess I just want to emphasize that you someone going out to write the story might need to focus on very specific parts of the timeline, maybe six months or a year here and there. I don't know if that's something that that you found. I mean, your father lived presumably like at least seventy years, so you have to focus on different places, right?
2: Yes, I I had to actually pick um, uh, things that were going to go in the book and things that were not going to go in the book because of the the times were so chaotic and you know it, the timeline was it's so large. I mean, it's three books. Um, he he his life was just something that I didn't expect. It's an adventure that goes from Africa to Venezuela. And the things that he had to live through on each stage of his life were things that um, are worth, you know, many stories. And so I had to pick how I was going to do this. I could not, you know, write my first novel and make it 2,000 pages because I could not afford to self-publish that, and I don't think anybody could either. (laughs) Right. So I focus on World War II. And I made the whole four years of war because I, I wanted to have a whole book for that. And then um, I took the post-war and I made it all the way through he um, uh, leaves Italy and sees land from the boat arriving in Venezuela. And then the third book is going to go all of his adventures in Venezuela, which in itself is um, incredible because he went through the, um, the fall of... Um, Ferris Jimenez, who was a dictator there, and uh, he built roads and stuff in the middle of the jungle over there. So there's so many adventures that he had in South America as well that I'm picking only those and putting them all compact in one era. And so that's why it's fictionalized. You, it, it, when you're writing a, a memoir project, you tend to be very correct and chronological, mm-hmm. And sometimes if you want to fictionalize, you have to be aware of that so that you can correct yourself and, and make it more, um, in, for entertainment's sake and for continuity's sake, um, make it different.
1: That's a good point. I mean, what you are pointing out right now is the difference between using oral history as strictly a, a fiction memoir and using oral history as a jumping-off point, as you did, for creating a compelling fictional account of parallel history, so to speak. And, uh, oh,
2: and I found it to be very um, beneficial um, having it listen because of um, uh, it, it will be like a shortcut, let me t- put it this way. In character development, cause mm-hmm. you can um, absorb a lot of the, the feeling that you get from the narration that you're listening to. Um, and also the, the details that they give you um, as first-hand witness is something that you won't find anywhere else. And at the same time, it can be your downfall if you're not careful and when you try to fictionalize it um, because you need to have the historical information correct and then put all your interpretation and all the development that you're taking out of the recordings At the same time, with your imagination, and make sure that it falls into that correctness of the era to make it um, credible. So, when Mm -hmm. you're doing it um, directly to a nonfiction, then you're just um, narrating what you what you're listening. And I don't want to say transcribing because it's not. There's always a little bit of um, um, how would you say that in English? There's always that little rise that the writer will put, even though he's keeping the, the story true to the T, you mm-hmm. know? Yes. Nuances
1: it, and shades of...
2: Yes. Mm-hmm. It, but it's, it, it, so there's less risk of making the mm-hmm. story non because mm-hmm. it is a true story.
1: Right. It's, it's, an, it's very interesting that you point out this difference in firsthand information versus uh, uh, what we normally find in printed material as research material and how much richer uh, this first-hand material can be if one is particularly attuned to those details that are being described by that interviewee.
2: The benefit goes even further when it comes after the the, story is published because you can use those interviews if you're recording them to uh, to use them as tools to market your book as well.
0: Yes, right. Uh Uh-huh. I guess the uh, the clips could be really good for doing you know book trailer type things. Uh, are you talking about you know two minute short two minute clips or longer ten minute clips or or uh, or is, is there music involved? Give us an idea on on how you can productionize uh, the interviews.:
2: I had uh, one piece of um, in the book trailer for my book, for example. Uh, The first um, two sentences are a narration from my father when it started. And um, so that that, that book trailer starts only with those two, and then the book trailer takes uh, into the full production um, creation. Uh, I have little interviews that I pull out from the recordings here and there. I have interviews that I've done afterwards with my father where I take the questions out of the tapes that I listen so you can really use them in, in many different ways. And uh, you can use them. I, I have used those recordings on my show when I'm putting together an interview with my dad, and then I'll come back and listen to them. And, you know, if he got, because he's an old man, um, you know, he's over 80 years old now, so he'll forget something. I'll go back, and if he did, it, you know, if I find a piece in in, in, in English, then I'll use a couple of, uh, his information there, his own narration on the interview. Or you can also, um, let's say it's, it's not a recordings that you have, but your interviews, you can also use the contacts that you interview for your research. Um, let's say you're interviewing a, a, an expert on uh, World War II, and I can use that interview for, um, for marketing it on a podcast but I can use the contact of his library or whatever for other things, you know, I can go and, and promote my book with that person. Or write an article about him. Or if that person has a, a because he's an expert, has his own website, maybe write a blog on him. So it's just it's an it it, it all depends on how you can ramificate on this web um once you get your contacts where you, that you're going to interview and the research that you do online, for example, I can link into StoryCorps and, and put some of my father's recording in there, maybe write an article about that, that will be interesting to that organization, and so on. And there's just so many doors that you can open.
0: Right. There's all these different uh, dimensions that you can take it. I mean, you've got, you know, your pre-World War II history buffs, you've got your your children, uh, who are from immigrant families, who are interested in in that experience, and uh, all kinds of different ways that you can take it. Is that right?
2: Yeah, there's um, many different, and that's it was a challenge at first because we're used to kind of put ourselves into one genre, and so i yeah. thought, okay, I'm a historical fiction, and this is what it is. Well, I'm not. You know, it's more than that. It's a coming of age story. It's a um, World War Two military story. It's an Italian-American interest story, um, Italian immigrant interest story, you know, immigrants everywhere in the world. I even went to um, Facebook and I found, for example, my father's last name is Ascensa, and I left that last name on the story. So I went to Facebook and I joined a group of all the Ascensas of the world. (laughs) 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 <laughs> and there's hundreds of them everywhere, from Argentina to Chile to Venezuela to Italy to the U.S. I mean, you name it. So now I'm thinking, and now I'm working, um, my Spanish translation is coming out because, you know, there's so many ascensors in in South America, oh. and then the Italian one is going to come out soon. I already located a translator that's going to help me. I had my parents working on translation, but um, they're getting too old, and they finally they uh-huh. said, you know what, we... We uh, retired 20 years ago. You're not going to make me work again. <laughs>
1: they already did their work. They gave you the material for the book. So yeah, yeah right. my father.
2: Yeah, my father said, "I'm not even seeing a cent of this."
0: <laughs> but, um,
2: yeah. So, um, yeah, he won't. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but, um, but he, you know, he. It, it, it's it's a great product when we're talking about memoiring interview is the best thing because you're spending time with the people that um, you love when you're talking you know whether you're writing the story about yourself or you're writing the story about your relatives by doing interviews you're uh, establishing connections that you didn't have or reinforcing connections that you had and um, and those will open doors marketing wise too you know I mean when a sense the uh, in Strat- uh, that was from Connecticut. is my father's cousin. She's 87 years old, and, and I had her on my guest, and I have something to say live and talked about my father's brother, who was her father, and they were living in the U.S. And so that gave me more material to look for. Now I'm marketing in Connecticut and in Florida because she's in Florida, retired, and decided to start singing at 87. So. <laughs> You never know who you're going to meet, you know, or who you're going to you, – you think you know the people in your family, and then all of a sudden you you, you find this other di- dimension of this person that you can use for your marketing as well. So it's, it's it's just been great. I never imagined all the different doors and dimensions that you could use. Interviewing, for example, um, you, you would have thought it was just a little chat. You jot it down, you transcribe it, and you use that information. Oh, no. It doesn't stop there. You can make it um, so much more than that.
0: Amazing. Great. I think we'll wrap it up here. First, we'll go around and have everyone give their information. Uh, Donna, tell us again your company and your website and Twitter and anything you'd like to.
1: Big Water Publishing is the company. Great Lakes Romances is the imprint. I am on the web at greatlakesromances.com. I am on Twitter at... Big Water Pub, and I am on Facebook. Uh, oh, that's kind of uh, Donna Winters, but there's about 450 of those. Uh, I, <laughs> <laughs> there is. Uh, I do yeah. have a I do have a Facebook page though, a Great Lakes Romances page for my series, so you can
0: find me there. Awesome, and Susan,
2: um, you can go to susanviolante.com, and that is www.susan. B I O L A N T E dot com. And all of my links are there. They're going to be on your left hand side, and you'll be able to uh, follow me on Facebook, Twitter. And um, there's my show page, uh, link is there, everything in the newsroom. Just go ahead and check me out.
0: Awesome. Thank you on behalf of myself and, of course, Irene, who couldn't be here tonight. And this has been another podcast edition of Authors Access, where authors get published and published authors get successful. You can learn more about our guests on the Authors Access website, which is AuthorsAccess.com. Stay tuned for the next episode, Publishing Activity Books, with our special guest, Carl Beckstrand. We'd love to hear from you about tonight's show. Please send us your questions and comments to info at AuthorsAccess.com. Authors Access is a joint production of Reader Views Incorporated and Loving Healing Press.
1: For Big Water Publishing, I'm Donna Winters.
0: And I'm Victor Wolfman from Loving Healing Press, wishing you all a good evening.